0: Man, it's great being here at Bay Hills, and I just got to tell you, man, I saw that face story. I think uh, Andrea is her name. I got a chance to hug her in the first service, and my microphone got caught in her earring, and uh, we were connected right away. It was just an amazing thing, it was electric. But I got to tell you, I uh, actually brag about you guys. This is absolute serious. I brag about you guys because uh, I think this is the third time I've been here. And I love the authenticity, the clarity, the sense that God is working here in your midst, and I don't know exactly what it is, but I feel like there's a lot of faith stories here. So like Pastor said, I just want to encourage you uh, to share your faith stories. It just encourage my heart. I'm going to be leaving today uh, telling about you again, but also be telling about that story specifically, the power of God to change a life. Hey, if you have a Bible, if you have a uh, iPhone or Android with a Bible app, uh, go, to first, or go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and then uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Those are the two passages we're going to look at today. But before we do that, um, I really think about this church as being a very authentic and real church. So I want to be very specific with you. I want to be very transparent. And uh, so part of what I'm going to talk about today is called set apart and loving deeply. Set apart and loving deeply. And in that set apart stuff, I'm talking about what it means to be pure and, and holy and all that kind of stuff. I just feel like I was supposed to talk about that. But in order to be very frank with you, I I need you to know that my wife is out of town at a conference. She's coming back tonight. And because she was gone yesterday, I went to two Jessup basketball games. And um, the first basketball game, we uh, won in the last uh, 60 seconds by three points. And the second, which was the gals. And then the second basketball game, which was the guys, we lost by three points in the last 60 seconds. And I just wanted to be very upfront with you about two things. Number one, uh, I just about blew my voice out. I was yelling and screaming, and so if I get a little scratchy during there, I got some water just in case, but, uh, so I just want to be uh, honest about that. The second thing is, I'm talking about purity today, and I just want to be honest with you. Uh, during both those games, there, there may have been a moment where I was not totally pure in my thoughts, and I just, want to, I just wanted to be very clear. Has anybody ever watched a game where the refs got it wrong? Yeah, okay, so I'm serious about that. And there were some moments, and I actually remember thinking, God, I'm going to talk about purity tomorrow. Why are you having this happen on the day that I'm... But anyway, uh, Jesus said it would be a good experience. So... So I want to tell you a little bit about set apart, being set apart and being special. And I want to just say, uh, I got married really young, and my family, um, I am going to love my family, they're super close, but my family did not have a lot of what I would call culture. I mean, we we had a roof over our head and clothes on our back, but we just didn't have a lot of culture, so I don't know if any other women have had to do this, but my wife kind of had to train me. She had to train me in some things. So I'm just going to give you two quick illustrations. Uh, When I got married, I didn't know anything about guest towels. I, I, didn't. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't. I never had heard of such a thing. I didn't know there was such a thing as guest towels. And I remember we got married, uh, she would tell me and instruct me, now these are the guest towels. And, and uh, just the whole concept that there were towels in my house that I couldn't use uh, seemed like, why? Uh, okay. So, so I remember the first time that we actually had guests come over, she put a sticky note on them for, you know, don't use and I think we actually forgot to take them off before the guests came. But but I remember just the concept that we had special towels that were somehow for the guests, but not for me, just that was very freaky to me. And then uh, we, grew, uh, we grew up with never having china. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the country. I'm talking about special dishes. And so when we got married, we got um, sets of china and uh, Am I the only one who had to be cultured like this? Well, I I didn't know anything about China. And, And I remember thinking, as we're getting into our first apartment and stuff, and we're putting all the plates up on the thing, and she's going, well, this is the special stuff. And so we didn't use the China. But I remember the first day where we had like a special meal. We had, I think, my folks over or her folks over or something, and we served the whole meal on China. It was amazing. It was incredible. I remember like the food tasted different. I, I, I told her I feel like like if I was to have macaroni and cheese on China, it would be like noodles all of shiz or something like that. I just felt like it would be like a whole different elevation. And uh, so I want you to think about being set apart, being special, and I want you to have that as a background. So... Uh, You know I'm a president of William Jessup University, and uh, God's doing some great stuff. We are over in Sacramento. We've got a bunch of degrees online now, undergrad and grad, good stuff happening. But as a college president, one of the things I uh, love to do when I come to churches is I love to teach. And Pastor was so awesome to say, look, here's the series that I've gone on before, here's the series we're going to go next, and you're free to do whatever you want to do. And so I was really praying about it, and I felt like God specifically told me to teach this message. Now, and to be honest, I've never taught this message before. Well, I, I taught it first service. So this is the, the second time I've ever taught this message. And I felt like God sent me to a passage, Colossians chapter 3. But then I read Colossians 3, and I thought, well, like, okay. But And then I felt like I was supposed to do First Peter chapter 2. So we're going to look at those two passages. I'm going to teach you a lot, but I want to start with teaching you about being set apart. Is that Okay. What being set apart means. When you get saved, there are three aspects of salvation. I'll do this fairly quickly, be about five minutes. When you get saved, there's three aspects of salvation. I think we've got a slide for this. First of all, in the past, you were saved from the penalty of sin. In the past, you were saved from the penalty of sin. That's what the Bible calls justification. A good way to remember justification is it makes us just as if we had never sinned. When you come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you say yes to what Jesus did on the cross, it means you're saying, I no longer trust in my goodness, I no longer trust the church I go to, the clothes I wear, the weight of the Bible I carry, but what I put my trust and faith in is that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for my sins and he washed me clean and made it just as if I had never sinned. That's in the past you were saved from the penalty of sin. That's justification. The second word is the one we're going to focus on today, and that is that in the present, I'm being saved from the power of sin. That's sanctification. The Bible says that we're set apart, that in the present, we're being saved from the power of sin. And how many of you know we're not perfect, right? Everybody around us, we're not perfect. One of the things I love about Bay Hills Church is it seems like everybody pretty much knows they're not perfect, right? Like, y'all look fantastic, but I didn't see any perfect people here, Right? Uh, And so the truth is, is that we're all imperfect. We're all in process. And even that faith testimony you heard, you know, that person doesn't walk on water. So if, if you saw that faith testimony and said, oh man, I'd love to have an awesome story like that and have arrived. How many of you know, we never arrive in this life, right? So the truth is, is that what we're in the past, we're saved from the penalty of our sin. That's justification. In the present, we're saved from the power of sin. That's sanctification. We're set apart. We're made holy. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. The third part of salvation is that in the future, we'll be saved from the presence of sin. In the future, we'll be saved from the presence of sin. The Bible calls that glorification. There's a moment A moment in time where you pass from this life to the next and you get into the presence of God himself. And how many of you know God is holy and perfect and there's no sin in his presence? We live in a world that's still messed up, right? Got a few things wrong with this world. The truth is, no matter how good your intentions are, how strongly you want to follow after God, how clear he is about your uh, purpose, you're clear about his purpose in your life, the truth is, is that we still live in a messed up world. But there will be a future in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, where we'll go from imperfection to perfection. We'll be in the presence of the living God. That's an amazing promise of Scripture. That's glorification. So justification, sanctification, and glorification. Today, we're going to talk about sanctification. What does it mean to be set apart from God? So I want you to think about this the whole time today. You're like China, okay? Now, to be honest, when I was first married, um, I didn't like to eat dishes. I didn't like to eat food on China. Now, now I, I'm good with it. But I didn't like to eat food on China. I was more of a Melmac person. Do you know what Melmac is? Melmac's like indestructible plastic, okay? And, and it wasn't, by the way, just because we had kids. I wanted to eat on Melmac because uh, if I dropped the China plate and, and put a crack in it, that was like a super bad thing. And I didn't want to get in trouble. Uh, how many of you know that there's husband points that you either gain or you lose? And I'm always in the process of losing points. So I I did not want to eat on China. I wanted to eat on Melmac because if you drop the Melmac, nothing ever happens. You know, maybe the floor gets dented, but you never, ever uh, have a problem with that. So I'm more of a Melmac person, but think of yourself as China. You are China. You are set apart for something holy and special. I'll tell you a couple things about that. In the Old Testament, the first uh, testament of the Bible, uh, sanctification being set apart was mostly about uh, places of worship, and about objects. The priest's garment, the Holy Land itself, was a set-apart, sanctified place. The temple was holy. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, sanctification is about God's people themselves. and it also talks about special dishes that were set-apart and, and made for special uses. We are set-apart. Now, there's two parts of sanctification. I think this is the last slide on sanctification. Two things. Number one, the sanctification is the finished action of being made holy. The finished action of being made holy. There's a moment in time where we're going to go from being almost to being fully complete. Sanctification means there's one part of it that has to do with the finished action of being made perfect. And by the way, I'm always looking for a sanctified diet. Where it would be an instantaneous, an automatic transition from what is to what could be. How many of you ever read the Bible and you read about the marriage supper of the lamb and you never read about the diet or the fast that comes after? The marriage supper of the lamb is something where it happens and we never have to worry about that. I'm looking for a sanctified diet. But here's the second aspect of sanctification, and that is the daily process of being holy. How many know that when you're set apart, when you're China, as it were, if I could use that illustration, when you're China, you are always set apart and holy for God. But how many of you know that sometimes your china gets used with for very common purposes, but it's still china? I mentioned macaroni and cheese. A couple times after we've been married a few years, I said to my wife, let's just use the china, but let's serve mac and cheese on the china. And you know what? It elevated the game of the mac and cheese. Having mac and cheese on china does kind of elevate the game. There's something about that, that dishware that's so special and so powerful that it kind of lifts it up you are being made holy. There's a once and for all you're being made holy, and then you're in the process of being made holy. Does that make sense? All right, now go to Colossians 3. I think that background is going to help you. Colossians chapter 3. Now, you got to remember, we are in New Testament times. How many of you would say the world we live in feels a lot like the description of the Bible times. If you read the New Testament times, you think about the moral compass of the world, kind of broken, kind of confused. There's a lot of chaos, a lot of pain. That is exactly the times that we're living in. And so what happens is this letter is going to be written to you. The apostle Paul is writing. He writes to people who don't live in the Bay Area, but it might as well. He says this, Since then, and whenever you see that phrase in the Bible, since then or because or therefore, you know what it's talking about. First two chapters in Colossians are about because you've come to know Christ. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In your notes somewhere, write down heaven to earth. Heaven to earth. It says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Heaven to earth. Now look up here. I was born and raised in church. Some of you know my story. Age 0 to 16, born and raised in church. My dad and mom pastored small to medium-sized Baptist churches. I went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Never allowed to miss, even if I was sick. My parents were just religiously and radically committed. You will be in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. Like you may have had a hard life, a lot of things going on. I had a drug problem as a kid. I was drugged to church every single week. That's, That's my story. So in that process, what I want you to hear is this. I never thought about living heaven to earth. I got it all wrong. I always thought about living earth to heaven. I always thought my goal was to put my eyes on heaven and to know that if I didn't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do, then I could eventually make my way to heaven. I could eventually get to the point where if I behaved well, if I did all the right things and didn't do very many of the bad things, And if I had asked Jesus to be my Savior, someday I'd make it from earth to heaven. But I believe the Bible actually says that you are holy. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are holy, and you're supposed to live from heaven to earth. Think about this. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, we call it the Lord's Prayer. When he was teaching the disciples how to pray, and he told them that we should pray that God's will should be done on earth as it is in heaven, do you think that was just a Hallmark card thing? Like Jesus was sort of wistfully saying, so someday in the sweet by and by. Or was Jesus actually declaring the will of God that we should be bringing heaven to earth? Let me say this to you. I think your neighborhood, I think your workplace, and now I'm going to get really intense and personal, I think your family, you are on assignment in those places, your address, your workplace, Your family is an assignment, not an accident. And your assignment there is to bring heaven to earth. You are like China. Wherever you go, you bring the presence of God into the atmosphere. You bring heaven to earth. About two years ago, I was speaking to a local chamber of commerce, and I do a little leadership thing. I it's sort of just teach leadership. I'm the president of a school, and I presumably know something about that. So I teach leadership, and I, I did this whole leadership presentation. I don't use the Bible. I don't say the name of Jesus. I just uh, uh, teach about leadership, but I try to do it in a way that's hopefully loving and wooing to people. And so I'm in this chamber of commerce, a bunch of business people at lunch, and we do this training, and we finish it, and a guy comes up to me and pays me one of the greatest compliments I could ever receive. He says, Dr. Jackson, that was really interesting. That was good about leadership. He said, I don't know, though. When you were speaking, it seems like the atmosphere shifted in the room. Now, I don't know anything about the guy's spiritual life, but to notice that the atmosphere shifted in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. You carry the love and the presence of God. You are set apart. You are holy. You live from heaven to earth. All right, now hold that. Now let's go into this next section. I'm going to warn you in advance. This next section is going to seem kind of intense, but I think it's there for a reason. I think we need to hear this in our culture. Here's what it says in verses 5 and following Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Let me stop right there. Can we just say, without diving into all the specifics, that there are some things in, in the world that are bad and some things that are good? Some things in the world that bring bad consequences, and some things bring good consequences? You know, there's a biblical principle called sowing and reaping. The seeds that you sow will determine the harvest that you reap. By the way, that doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. The seeds that you sow, the actions that you take, will determine the harvest that comes about. Actions and behaviors have consequence. That makes sense, right? Like, it doesn't even matter if you're a Christian. That's just a truism of life. The law of sowing and reaping. So here's what the Bible is saying. These things, he says, you used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must get rid of all such things as these, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here, there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Write this down, all to Jesus, all to Jesus. We are supposed to live in such a way that we bring heaven to earth, and we're supposed to live in such a way that people see the life of God in us, and that what was past in our life is put aside. Now, how many of you know we're not perfect, right? Right? The reality is there's not a person in this room who's not perfect. We've all got stuff. We all make mistakes. We all fall short. Nobody's talking about moral perfection here. But what we are talking about is this. If you have come to relationship with Christ, there is a special call to holiness. There's a special call for you to be the women and men of God, where God is working in your life in such a way that people see there's a difference from where you were going to where you are going. The truth is, is that none of us are where we're ultimately going to be. But all of us who have a relationship with Christ should no longer be heading the way that we once were. Your testimony, your story should be, look, I'm not all that I should be, but thanks be to God, I'm not what I used to be. Some, all of us in this room are somewhere in between what we used to be and what we're ultimately going to be. Does that make sense? We're between that thing. You're, the power of your testimony is the power of God to change your heart. In fact, I sometimes will say to people, this is absolutely true, I have a serious addiction in my life, and I am not ashamed of it. I am addicted to the power of God to change a human heart. I am addicted to the story of what God can do with people like me and people like you and people who aren't in this room. As long as we open the door of our heart and say yes to God, what God can do is change a human heart. Hi, my name is John, and I'm addicted to... To the power of God to change a heart, a home, a family, a community, an organization, the world. That's the power of God. So all to Jesus, we live in such a way, by the way, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or male or female, white, brown, black, whatever political party. The truth is, is that all of us have that same story. I'm not exactly all I should be, but thanks be to God, I'm not what I used to be. Now let's go to the third section. And this is what I really want you to hear in terms of what it is that God's calling us to do. Therefore, whenever you see a because or sense or therefore, you ask why it's there. Therefore, because of all God's done to you, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Third thing I want you to write down is to clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves in love. The reality is is that we're set apart. We're China. God has called us to be holy. He's called us to tell the story of his power to change a life. And as he's done that, he tells us to model it a certain way. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, forgiving, and love. So let me just tell you this. We live in a world where people have all kinds of thoughts about Christians. And so I'm just going to say one of them that's very, very common. Christians are mean. Angry, condemning, and judgmental. Now I can kind of hear you saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who are you up there to be saying that I'm mean and angry and condemning and judgmental? Well, I'm actually not saying that about you. Because I've actually been here a couple times and I would say this church is the opposite of that. But did you know in almost every survey that's been taken in the last decade in the United States, when people are asked to describe Christians, what they say is Christians are mean and angry and condemning and judgmental. I really believe this. God has called us to be set apart, but he's called us to be set apart in such a way that we love deeply. Being set apart, being holy, being China does not mean that you don't love deeply. In fact, look at the end of this passage. If you live with compassion, you live with kindness, you live with humility, with gentleness and patience, you forgive people and you love them, the Bible says that what God will do with that is amazing. In just a moment, we're going to look at a specific passage, but I want to say this to you. How many of you know we are not in competition? Bay Hills Church is not in competition with any other church within the 20, 30, 40-mile radius who teaches the Bible as God's word, helps people love Jesus and grow in relationship with him and develop compassion for the world around us. If there's a church out there that teaches the Bible as God's word, introduces people to Jesus in a growing, loving relationship and increasing compassion for the world, how many of you know we're for them? We're on the same team. There is no competition in the body of Christ. I'm on a one-person wrecking crew mission to destroy any thought that churches somehow who name the name of Jesus, teach the Bible as God's word, and increase in and in re- compassion to the world around us, that we're somehow in competition. That's craziness. That's insanity. We pray for all the churches that are doing those things. There are partners in ministry. Now, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. God has called you. He wants you to be set apart. There should be something different about you, but being different something different about you does not mean that you do so in a way that's mean and angry and condemning and judgmental. So I finished reading Colossians chapter 3. I said, okay, Lord, what is it that I tell Bay Hills Church? And I felt like I was then directed to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to just share with you a couple things from that passage. I want to give you the context. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the apostle Peter, you know the guy with the big mouth? who always like would speak and then engage his brain, that, 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 who I love, by the way, that his story's in the Bible because it sometimes gives me permission or at least explanation for what's going on with me. But I, I love that Peter, he's talking to folks who were being scattered because of persecution. In the early church, they were all in Jerusalem, kind of clustered together. Then this big, huge persecution broke out, and they were scattered all over the Roman Empire. And guess what happened? How many of you know that God sometimes takes really bad stuff and turns it into amazing things? So they were persecuted. They got scattered all over the Roman Empire. And guess what happens? They took the love of Christ. They shifted the atmosphere of every city that they went to. And so he writes to them. And this is not in the text, but this is what I think he meant. Dear friends, I urge you, even though you live in the most unchurched area of California, your pastor was telling me that last year for the first time, the Bay Area specifically was listed as the most unchurched area and the most de-churched area in the United States. You know what de-churched is? People who used to go to church, but they got turned off somehow. So the Bay Area, the area that you are called to live in, is statistically, apparently, the most unchurched and the most de-churched area in the country. So now I want you to listen to these words. Dear friends, I urge you, though you live in the most unchurched and de-churched areas, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. God is calling this church, and he's calling the body of Christ in the United States, to live in a set-apart way. But to live in a set-apart way so full of compassion and grace and kindness and tenderness that the world around us, even though they long to persecute, even though they long to, to throw bricks, they look at us and go, whoa, something is different about them. And because you demonstrate compassion and love and kindness in your community, it's awful hard for people to persecute folks who are loving and caring and compassionate. And then it says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Let me stop right there. Do you ever want to silence the ignorant talk of foolish people? How about on social media? Anything ever happen on your Facebook feed, your Twitter feed, your Instagram, your Snapchat? Has anything ever happened where you just want to go pow and silence the ignorant talk of foolish people? Well, maybe you don't, but I do on a regular basis. And I have enough stuff from my childhood and teenage years where every once in a while I want to settle things kind of the old-fashioned way. You know what I'm saying? I want to just kind of just say, let's, let's get in there and let's do this. But every time that sort of rises up within me, I read a passage like this, which tells me that I'm supposed to live in such a way in response to the human authorities that are over me that I'll do, I'll live in such a way that it will silence the ignorant and foolish talk of of people, the ignorant talk of foolish people. I I need to do that by doing good. So let me just ask this. How many of you know that we have imperfect people running the government? Some of you are saying like, tell me about it, Okay. So we have imperfect people, we have flawed people, we have short-sighted people, we have people who make mistakes, and they run our local government, they run our county, they run our state, they run our federal government. We have people who are confused in positions of government authority. And how many of you know, once in a while, our government will make a decision that will even divide a room like this, and some of us will go, that was a good decision, some of us will go, that was a bad decision, and we even struggle sometimes, how many of you know? that no matter what decisions your government makes, your local, your community, your state or federal government, that we are called to pray for people in authority over us. And in fact, the hardest time to pray is when it's most important to pray. When you are furious and frustrated and upset about the government, that's when you press in and you pray for people in authority. Now, by the way, you can disagree with their decisions. You can think you're doing, they're doing wrong, but the Bible tells us That even though we're set apart and even though we're holy, that we're supposed to be that in such a way that we love deeply. This last part of the passage says this. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now look up here. Do you know how the church grew in the first century? Sometimes we look and we go like, Man, it'd be great to live in Bible times. (laughs) I don't know if you ever read the Bible. It wouldn't be so great to re- live in Bible times. There are people thrown in lion's den, thrown in fiery furnaces in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, what happens is they literally just get uh, separated from their families and they get crucified. One of them, Peter himself, who wrote this passage, uh, history says, suggests that he was crucified upside down. So the reality is, is that we live in kind of tough times, but you know how the church grew in the first century? The church in the first century grew because they lived in very challenging times. But two things in particular that historians have noted. When persecution took place and people were driven all over the empire, two things happened. First of all, people in the first century would often discard their newborn babies. If a baby was born that they didn't want to have, particularly if it was a female child, people in the first century would often have their servants take the newborn child and take him out to the rubbish heap to freeze to death. And guess who rescued the babies? Followers of Jesus. And they brought those babies into their home, and they nurtured them and loved on them. And because of that, people began to notice the kindness and compassion of Christians. The second reason, this is historically documented, a famous historian named Rodney Stark. He said one of the fundamental reasons the early church grew is that in the first century, there was an outbreak of the plague. And the outbreak of the plague happened in such a way that people who were wealthy or in positions of power, they could flee the cities, particularly Rome. And when they fled the cities, guess who didn't flee? It was the Christians. And the Christians would go and care for people who were ill. There's actually been a historical study that suggested that your chances of surviving the plague in the first century rose geometrically based on one factor, and that is if you knew somebody who was a follower of Christ. Because if you got the plague and you knew a follower of Christ, there was a good chance that that follower of Christ was going to come and take care of you. And many people who survived the plague in the first century did so because of the love and care of Christians. Now, here's what I'm telling you. Our day is messy. And I can't promise you what's going to happen tomorrow or next year or five years or 100 years from now. What I can tell you is this. People who are followers of Jesus Christ are called to be holy. We're set apart. We need to live in such a way that we bring heaven to earth. We need to live in such a way that we're manifesting Jesus in every atmosphere we go in. We need to live in such a way that we're clothed with love. And we do that in a redemptive, kind fashion. And we do that in such a way that I'm convinced that in the same way he's touched hundreds of your lives, he longs to touch thousands and tens of thousands. The darker the darkness gets, the brighter the light must shine. God has called us to be set apart and to love deeply. Would you close your eyes? Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you would move throughout this room. I ask that you would touch lives and that individuals in this room would say, what does this mean for me? What does it mean to be set apart? What does it mean to love deeply? What does it mean to be a man or woman who's called in a very specific way? to live out my life and relationship with Christ in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my family. God, I really believe there's a specific assignment on this church family. There's an assignment in this community, and you want us to be the men and women who honor your name by bringing heaven to earth, by manifesting the life of Jesus and being clothed in love. Lord, I pray a redemptive calling a loving, wooing, a reaching calling upon this community in a way that would honor your name. And Lord, I pray that as we begin this series next week that we would exercise faith by inviting folks but that you would also cause this explosion of faith as people begin to take first steps in faith and believe and second steps in faith by trusting and third steps in faith by inviting and that we just begin that journey of faith in such a way that many, many people would have the experience of the living Christ. And Lord, that you'd bring about the power of transformation to change a heart, a home, a community, an organization, the world. We ask all this in your precious and awesome name. Amen.